Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. I know the time and I ask you for a few minutes for us to take a, a little further progress in this first chapter of the epistle to the Romans. For those of you that wish we were going faster, we're going at a speed that you can learn a great deal if you'll pay attention to all that is said. But if you want more this week because you want to get to justification by Jesus Christ, then go to our website and look up a document there that was written in 1647 by a Baptist pastor named Samuel Richardson entitled Justification by Jesus Christ, in which he will take the minority position that we're going to take, that we are neither Arminian nor Calvinist. We follow the gospel of God as Paul presented it. I encourage you to read it. Justification by Jesus Christ. Not justification by faith. Not justification by works. Justification by Jesus Christ by Samuel Richardson. You will enjoy it. That man signed. He was one of the pastors that signed the first Baptist Confession of Faith in 1642. Which he then asked those pastors to revise. And they signed it again in 1644. So it is called the First London Baptist Confession of Faith of the Baptists, first edition and second edition. The second edition, he changed the wording on the identity of the Son of God because he believed sonship the way we do. And the the first edition had not been clear enough. And so he changed it in the second edition. If you will read Justification by Jesus Christ by Samuel Richardson, it will not take you that long. It's precious. He holds our position on justification, our position on sonship, our position on baptism, and let it read with pleasure as he takes on a pastor of the Episcopal Church that was railing on Baptists. Enjoy. They didn't have the pulpit manners that Joel Osteen has. And fourth, his love of the Word of God and his dislike for seminary training and their quasi-scholarship instead of trusting every Word of God, all in that one document. I've just given you something to entertain your minds if you're not getting enough by the pace I've chosen. God has chosen this pace, and it's the best I know how to do. We will get faster. But right now we want to lay a foundation in this salutation because it's jam-packed full of things about our brother Paul. The first verse, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. We want to deal with that last phrase, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul came to the Romans and he came with these credentials. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That's the high king of heaven. That would bolster their reception of his writing. He came as an apostle of Jesus Christ being called. Well, what does that word mean? Called to be an apostle, meaning he was chosen, ordained, and appointed to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And now he describes himself as separated unto the gospel of God. Paul was separated in three ways. If I, can, if I can break it up that many times. First of all, he was separated from all other men because God picked him out of the earth's population to be the apostle of the Gentiles. Second, he was separated in the kingdom of Jesus Christ from all other callings, 
all other uses of his life but to be an apostle. Third, he was separated from any distractions in his life, and he gave himself wholly to that pursuit. He didn't even have a wife so that he could attend to getting the gospel to you. And he wasn't keeping any vow of celibacy. He was keeping the zeal of his heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. If his Savior didn't have a wife, he didn't need one. And he burned himself out without the distractions of a family in order to get the gospel to you and me. Thank you, Lord. Separated unto the gospel of God. Let's look at it in the Bible and back up the distinctions I just gave you. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Every word of God is pure. If, the, if it's good enough for the Holy Spirit to put the words separated into the gospel of God, I want you to understand what those words mean. Separated unto the gospel of God. We come over to Galatians chapter 1 where he's giving his testimony. And he is describing how he persecuted the church. In verses 13 and 14, let me read them to you. Galatians 1.13 for ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. How much did he persecute the church of God and waste it? Beyond measure. See, he is the chief of sinners. You'll never match Saul of Tarsus. Which means if he can save, if the Lord Jesus Christ can save Saul, he can save you easily. That's why he was saved. Verse 14, And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. That is how committed he was against Jesus Christ and for the traditions of the Jews. But, remember, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. This is where we understand the Apostle Paul was trained and taught by the Lord Jesus Christ in Arabia. There is no other mention of anything being in Arabia except Paul going there for three years. And when he got back, he was a changed man. And he knew a great deal. He had the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ to give to the churches. But what I want is the word separated. In verse 15, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now there was a midwife that separated him from his mother's womb. I have heard this text tortured and twisted as the Apostle Paul was the second in the New Testament to be born again in his mother's womb. Right. <laughs> it's not talking about being born again. Right. It's talking about one thing, getting into the ministry. Amen. He was separated from his mother's womb. God had his eye on Saul of Tarsus while he was in his mother's womb, who separated me from my mother's womb. He had picked me out and separated me from all other callings in the world to be his apostle, and called me by his grace. Isn't it surprising that we have the word separated and called right here in this verse, just like we have them in Romans 1, verse 1. We're simple people. 
We compare spiritual things with spiritual, and we don't say that foolishly. We love being simple. We want to be the babes of the Lord Jesus Christ and have his word become very simple to us as he reveals these things. He is talking about his call to the ministry. I was an enemy of the church of Jesus Christ, but when it pleased God, who had separated me from my mother's womb, he had his eye on me from my mother's womb, when it pleased God, who called me by his grace... When it pleased God to reveal his son in me, I did not go up to Jerusalem. I went into Arabia because God had his eyes on Paul from the beginning. Let me show you another example of this same kind of language. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1 and let's find out when Jeremiah was separated and called to the ministry. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. If the Holy Spirit wanted to tell us about Jeremiah's call to the ministry, then let's go look at it while we learn the book of Romans. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet Unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Now, brethren, there is a way that you can say to the Lord, I am a child, and the Lord loves the speech, like he did with Solomon. There are other ways you can say, I am a child, and I cannot speak, and the Lord doesn't like it. Moses tried that, and it says the Lord tried to kill him. In the first few chapters of Exodus. This verse, I want you to understand, is one is partly, it lines up with Psalm 68, where it says that when Jesus Christ ascended up on high, he gave gifts unto men, yea, for the rebellious also. Moses was rebellious. Jeremiah was rebellious. The Apostle Paul was rebellious. He kicked against the pricks. He had had pricks of conscience about the Lord Jesus Christ, but he had kicked against those pricks until the Lord flattened him on the road to Damascus. But notice here, I formed thee in the belly, and before that, I already knew you, Jeremiah, and before you came out of your mother's womb, I had sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Isn't that something? You say, what what does it mean when Jeremiah was a prophet to the nations? Because Jeremiah had this message, not only to Israel, but to the Philistines, to the Egyptians, to the Edomites, and to others. His message included them all, if you'll read the whole book of Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant. If you will submit to Nebuchadnezzar and pay his tribute and salute the man, your nation will be preserved. If you oppose him and raise an army, even if you make confederacies with other nations... Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy you because he's God's servant for this time. That's why he was a prophet to the nations. He was primarily a prophet to Judah, but he was also a prophet to the nations because there are whole chapters in the book of Jeremiah about the promise that God was going to destroy those other nations through Nebuchadnezzar unless they submitted. Because Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. And that is stated repeatedly in the book of Jeremiah. But the reason we're here is for you to see the similarity in language That when God separates a man to the ministry, he's had his eyes on the man for a while. He had his eyes on Paul. But when it pleased God, who separated me from 
my mother's womb. God already had his designs on me in my mother's womb. I was a separate man. He had a different purpose for my life than other men. I was going to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he called me by his grace on the road to Damascus. Then he revealed his son in me. And then I, didn't, I, went up to Jeru- I went up to Arabia instead of up to Jerusalem. Back to Romans chapter 1. Separated unto the gospel of God. God had his eyes on Paul. We could go to Isaiah 49 and find the same words about the Lord Jesus Christ. That he was ordained and appointed and separated to his ministry. In Isaiah 49 verses 1 and verse 5. Way early. And here we have Romans. The last phrase of verse 1, separated under the gospel of God. Now let's take this a step further. I said there were three. The first one is that Paul was pulled out of all the rest of the men in the world to be a chosen man. He was, I am the apostle of the Gentiles. One man was separated from all other callings to be that man. Then he was separated to it. Away from the Jews. Look at Acts chapter 13. And let's look in to the workings of the ministers in the church that was at Antioch of Syria. Syria is just north of Israel, as you should all know from geography lessons. And there's an Antioch in Syria, which was Paul's home church. The Antioch Antipato Baptist Church. Probably the name of it. Or the Antipato Baptist Church of Jesus Christ of Antioch. I speak as a fool just a little tiny bit. Next year is the 300 official, 300th year official anniversary of the formal establishment of the Antipato Baptist Church of Christ in Georgetown, South Carolina. They are using as their theme verse... Remove not the ancient landmarks because of a troublemaker in Greenville that corresponds with them and the historical church, the historical committee of the First Baptist Church. They've changed their name. I'd like to really stir the pot, but I won't at this time. So they're using the text for their anniversary celebration in 2010, and it's a year-long celebration of that group of Baptists that were persecuted in the state of Maine where the state church was the Congregationalists, and they got in boats and came down the eastern seaboard to Charlestown, where they started the first Baptist church in the south. Then the son of William Screvin, named Elisha, went north with his aged father about 60 or 70 miles to Georgetown, South Carolina, and established the Antipato Baptist Church of Christ. Do you remember? The first time I looked at that word, I said Antipodo. What does that mean? I didn't say that for long, and you know that. I had great fun in the city of Georgetown with the curators at the museum who were all of the Church of England, Episcopalians. They weren't sure what the word meant. And I said, well, this man wanted you all to know what he thought of infant baptism. Anti-pedo. No children get baptized in this church. Do you love men like that? Now they don't even want to be called Baptists. Now they don't even want to be called churches. The Southside Baptist Church in our city is now called the Southside Fellowship. It's not Baptist and it's not a church anymore according to their own name. Verse 1 of Acts 13. 
Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here's a group of the teachers, prophets and teachers at the church at Antioch of Syria, Paul's home church. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now Paul was separated from all other men to be a chosen apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is separated from the ordinary work of being a prophet or a teacher in the church that was at Antioch to be an evangelist and an apostle among the nations because he immediately commenced upon his first evangelistic trip as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ across the Mediterranean Sea and into the nations of the Roman Empire. So we see the word separated there again. Why is this mentioned? God chose for Paul to have a dedicated life for great expertise on the things of the gospel. Paul was chosen out of all men. Paul was then chosen to a particular work. And then Paul was so chosen that he had no distractions. And that's the third choice that I want to remind you all of, of the importance of not being distracted in our Christian lives. Look at Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, when the Holy Ghost uses the word separated, let's make sure that we are as separated as we should be ourselves. It's primarily about the Apostle Paul, obviously. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. When did that separation take place? God had his eyes on Paul before he was born. And he was separated from his mother's womb. Even in his mother's womb, just like Jeremiah, God had his eyes on Saul of Tarsus. Then, when he was sitting with the other teachers in the church at Antioch of Syria, God separated him from that ordinary work to a spectacular work of preaching the gospel among the nations for the Gentiles' sake. Then, he didn't have a wife so that he could be separate from all earthly distractions as much as possible to give himself wholly to his ministry. And Solomon encouraged us, us all to do that for the sake of gaining wisdom. And so we turn to Proverbs 18.1. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. That is what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul, through desire, what was his desire? To burn himself out for the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of Christ constraineth me. I don't need a wife. He said in 1 Corinthians 7, I, w I could wish that all men were like me. But every man has his different gift. And I have this gift, and I'm going to use it for the cause of Christ. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, he cuts off everything in his life that distracts him and diverts his attention and his affection and his passion from the pursuit of wisdom. And so Solomon encourages us with this proverb, if a man really desires wisdom, he's going to separate himself from as many things as he can so that he has a life dedicated to seeking and intermeddling. That is getting right down into the nitty-gritty of learning wisdom. And Paul was separated to the gospel of God by three measures. Primarily that God had a divine purpose for Paul's life even from his mother's womb.
Let's come back to Romans chapter 1. I ask you today, though you haven't been separated from your mother's womb to be an apostle, and though you haven't been separated by prophets and teachers in a church to be a special apostle and evangelist to the Gentile nations, Proverbs 18.1 does apply to you. Are you too busy? Too busy to study the Word of God? Chasing all your soap bubbles? 168 hours in a week, but you're too busy? The, Lord's, the Lord is speaking to all of us. Are we too busy to seek and intermeddle with all wisdom? To get into all the wisdom that this Bible contains. The wisdom of Christ and the wisdom of practical living found in Proverbs and found in the Gospel. We get too busy. But you know what it means when you're too busy? It just means you need to cut something out. Because nothing should compare with the pursuit of wisdom. That's our practical lesson from the point. Let's come back to Romans 1 and look at what's in parentheses in verse 2. Which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What had God, that's the he, he's a pronoun referring back to God. The gospel of God is our last subject or noun combination in the last part of verse 1, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This note is important because Paul is telling his audience, and his audience is made up of Jews and Gentiles, who many of which had been proselytes, meaning their conversion process went this way. They were pagans. They were converted to the Jews' religion of Moses' law, That's a proselyte. And then they were converted to Christianity. So they had lived like a Jew, wished they were a Jew, been circumcised like a Jew, read the Jewish scriptures, and met with the Jews in the Jewish synagogue. That's a Gentile proselyte. So they were all familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And so Paul comes along with this epistle. And he says in this second verse, the gospel of God that I was separated to. Gospel meaning good news and glad tidings. And every word, for the most part, that I am giving you is important for you to understand the rest of this epistle. The word gospel is an old English word meaning glad tidings or good news. And you can compare passages in the New Testament that use the word gospel with verses in the Old Testament that they are quotations of, and you will learn that. Gospel means good news or glad tidings. Gospel is information about the Lord Jesus Christ. And God had promised that news about the Lord Jesus Christ, and God had promised the Lord Jesus Christ that would make the news afore, a long time ago, by the prophets in the Old Testament Scriptures. The reason the verse is here is to tell his Jewish and Gentile proselyte audience what I'm bringing is not contrary to the Old Testament scriptures, but is in fact its fulfillment. That's why that second verse is important. That's why it's there. There would have been a natural resistance, and Paul never did this. Paul never disparaged the Old Testament. We want to learn the whole book of God. Right. He understood that the Old Testament in many respects had passed away. He's the one that taught us about the time of Reformation in Hebrews chapter 9. But he also understood that the gospel he preached had been preached in the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 3 to Malachi chapter 4. Do you know what it says in Genesis chapter 3? 
In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it words the gospel by promise this way. To the devil, God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We have a male child of the woman that would be coming in the future that would bruise the devil in his head, which is a fatal wound. The devil, in turn, would bruise that male seed's heel, which is a minor wound. That was the gospel preached and promised by prophets, Moses, and God himself in Genesis chapter 3. Look at Malachi chapter 4. I want you to understand from beginning to end of the Old Testament, Paul wasn't bringing anything new. He was just bringing the fulfillment of it and the further progression of knowledge that God was communicating to his people. The Bible is a progression of revelation. There was little understood before Abraham and Moses. Then they didn't know very much in comparison to the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live on the blessed side of it all. We can see how the apostles fulfilled the prophets of the Old Testament. We see the grand panorama of the whole thing. We have the ultimate in Revelation until we're in heaven. That which is perfect has come. That which is in part has been done away. We don't have partial revelation, even like the church at Corinth had. We have the complete thing because we have the finished scriptures. Look at Malachi chapter 4. Verse 1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. John the Baptist said, The axe is now laid to the root of the tree. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That is John the Baptist. That is 70 A.D. That is the destruction of the Jewish nation for their wicked rebellion against the God that had chosen them from among all nations and having crucified the Savior that he sent them. You turn back one chapter to chapter 3, first verse. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Who is Malachi 3.1 talking about? John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ to follow. And you can read it there. So, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 2, which, this gospel of God, God had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Due to their loyalty of the Old Testament scriptures, Paul immediately reminds them that what I'm bringing, I've already told you by what authority I'm coming. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm called to be an apostle. I'm separated in the gospel of God. But this gospel that I'm bringing you, this good news, these glad tidings that I'm bringing, is according to the Old Testament scriptures where you put your trust in following the monotheistic religion of Moses, and that is the one God, Jehovah, of the Bible. Look at, look at Acts 17 with me, and let's remind ourselves of Paul's method whenever he went to a synagogue so that we can appreciate what he's saying here. He doesn't, he doesn't neglect. Notice, it's in parentheses. It's small. It's short. Verse 2 is, is a small point, but it's a necessary point, and it's a point that they wanted to hear. 
that, you know, this is not some brand new religion, though it is a new way of worshiping God. It's based on promises that are contained in the Old Testament scriptures from the beginning to the end. Acts 17. Here's Paul's method. We never want to forget this. Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. This is Paul's method. When Paul would go into a new city, he would look up in the yellow pages to find the synagogue. He would go to the synagogue, and when they gave an opportunity for debate to occur over the Scriptures, or for him to give a testimony about the Scriptures, or for him to read the Scriptures, or for a word of exhortation, he would stand up and open and allege out of their Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, the promises concerning Christ, that Jesus had to die because that was contrary to a Jew. All a Jew could think of is someone like David coming, who's called the son of David, and who in the prophecies is called David, that's going to deliver us from the Romans. But Paul points out, no, the Old Testament prophecies point out that he had to die and rise again. And if you've ever read Acts chapter 2, Peter does a pretty good job of it. By using Psalm 16, where David said, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, nor suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The Apostle Peter would say, Men and brethren, you all know that David's sepulcher is right down the street in the city cemetery. We still have a marker for David's grave. David did see corruption. But David was a prophet. And so who was David talking about? I'm telling you who he was talking about. He was talking about Jesus of Nazareth. That's how Peter argued and reasoned in Acts chapter 2, his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Back to Romans chapter 1. And so there's Paul's method of using the scriptures. And so he refers to the scriptures, even to this group of Christian saints in the city of Rome. Now notice what he said. He said, which he had promised. Who is he? That is God from verse 1. In that God had promised it, therefore the matter, or the subject material of Paul's epistle, was of divine origin, which he had promised. If God had promised it, therefore it was certain, and not by the invention of men. Look at each one of these words. Which, this gospel of God, God had promised. It's of divine origin, and it's certain, it's not by my invention. This can be traced right back into the prophets where you put a great deal of your trust in the Jews' religion. In that he said afore, which he had promised afore. Meaning, this has been a long-standing plan of God to reveal new truth, more truth, than he did to the, the prophets, but they promised about this coming time. You can go to Isaiah and read promises where there shall arise a light upon the Gentiles. It started in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it went into his apostles, and especially through Paul. Known unto God are all his works from the foundation of the world, Acts 15, verse 18 tells us. God's plan for the gospel to go to the Gentiles was of ancient origin. This had always been God's plan. 
Look at, while we're in Romans, look at 16, and we're almost done for today. Romans 16. We'll finish with this second verse. And I'll go home content in the Lord, and I hope you will. And if you're not, go home and read Justification by Jesus Christ by Samuel Richardson, 1647. And if you're not content reading it, memorize it. Or call me, and I'll ask you a few questions about it. It's, we're going to take a minority position on the interpretation of Romans, but we're going to line up with our ancient Baptist forefathers right. who came out of the woods in hiding in the early 1600s. Amen. They had the same spirit. They held the same doctrine. Praise His glorious name. Amen. And some of them went to Maine. And some of them went from Maine to Charlestown, and some of them went from Charlestown to Georgetown. Some of them were given 50,000 acres on the P.D. River by William Penn, and they established there a church with this strange name, the Welsh Tract Baptist Church. What nation do you think those people came from? You know, whenever I go toward Myrtle Beach, all I want to do is take a canoe and go down the P.D. River because there were 50,000 acres given to the hardworking Welsh Baptists that were in Pennsylvania where the first Welsh Tract Baptist Church was established and they came down to South Carolina. I'm sorry for getting way off, but do you know what? I want to tell you something. For that to happen in the state of South Carolina, it was in the mind of God from the beginning. Can I prove it to you? Chapter 16, last three verses. I read them to you last Sunday, but I want you to look at them now. That when it says, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, God opening up the gospel to the Gentiles was not a new thing. Verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, including Charlestown, Georgetown, and Greenville. To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. It had always been in the mind of God that he would be bringing the Gentiles in. And the Apostle Paul was the vehicle for doing it. If you read Ephesians chapter 3 last night, you know that there is an extensive statement in there that there was revelation given to Paul that was given to no other man that he would bring the Gentiles in. Praise the Lord, you are the beneficiary of that great promise that was kept hidden in Jesus Christ from the foundation of the world but was brought to pass through Paul's ministry. The gospel of God, the message about Jesus Christ, going to the Jews, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Our religion is in total agreement with the Old Testament. It's just that the Old Testament looked forward and prophesied of what was to play, take place with Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David, and then the Gentiles believing that message. And as Brother Eric read to you, and as we read in Romans 15, opening both services, Gentiles, Ye Gentiles, rejoice. Ye Gentiles, sing. Ye Gentiles, laud him. Because he has saved us Gentiles through the Lord Jesus Christ, promised 
in the Holy Scriptures of the Old Testament. May God bless the preaching of His Word, and may you remember the things that you have heard this day, and be thankful for them, and be thankful for the work of grace in your heart that has caused you to love these things and to want to know more, which, in time, God will show us more. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.